Hi, my name is Jordan Lytle, and welcome back to Collective Nonsense, a podcast about music, games, and other nonsense. Uh, with me, I have my co-host, Zachary Bruno. Zachary, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you, man? Pretty good. So today, we have a guest for the first time. We have with us an old friend of both Zach and I's, uh, Josh Romont. Josh, how are you doing? Good. What's up, guys? Nothing much. Doing good. All right. So I guess first off, I'll start with what we normally do, which is uh, see what's up with Zach. What have you been doing this week? Cool. Uh, this week, well, uh, <laughs> it's always so weird, like trying to figure out what I've been doing. But um, man, okay, so it's kind of been a busy week. Uh, we're actually getting ready to go to Sedona for a few days, um, so kind of preparations there. Um, but as far as music goes. Um, not like a whole lot of new stuff. Uh, been trying to write some songs, and actually, I was just writing a song um, a couple couple minutes ago before we started the podcast and stuff. Thought it was coming cool, but oh, cool. Uh, other so than that, yeah, nothing much. Just a one-off song. Or are you working on a new album? It would be cool to do an album, but as far as just right now, I don't know. It might be a whole another project or something. Cool. So what about you, Josh? What have you been up to? Um, work, work, and more work. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds like most of what I've been yeah. doing, actually. Adult life, right? <laughs> yeah. Work and bills. Yep. So uh, as far as music goes, Zach, what have you been listening to? Okay, so there's this uh, really cool artist um, called Gungor, and I don't know if you've heard of him, or it's not really a... It's a guy and a, it's basically a man and wife, but um, uh, it's a project and it's actually really cool. Um, how would I describe it? Okay, first of all, I'm hearing my echo, so I can't really, it's, it's kind of hard for me to be able to talk like that. I don't know how to disable that, but. I don't know, can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, I'm going to, I'm going to turn my volume down a little bit more but okay so uh this this project is it's actually pretty cool it's like an alternative uh worship um not really a worship album but it's kind of under that genre since it is themed toward worship but um it'd be like an alternative kind of project and it's it's very weird it's very different um uh very different than what i usually listen to uh, but I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's really uh, something that um, is is definitely a good piece of art. I'd say it's not anything um, like low quality. It's has a lot of work put into it, both lyrically and musically. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'd recommend uh, Gungor. And the album that I've been listening to is called One Wildlife uh, Soul. Is this subtitle? I guess. Okay, uh, what, uh, how do you spell that, by the way? Gungor, it's uh, G-U-N-G-O-R. Oh, okay. What style of music would you say that it is? Like, what genre? The genre, um, under iTunes, it's uh, classified as alternative. So, oh, okay. yeah. Huh. Post-rock. So would you say that that's the band of the week this week? Yeah. Or is that just something you've been listening to? Okay, cool. Interesting. I'll have to check it out. So you've been listening to anything else this week other than them? 
actually um i guess for the sake of the audience i'll just mention uh if if you guys have never heard uh don't listen to taylor swift um which i mean it's pretty impossible not to but um i really want to mention ryan adams uh, cover album of taylor swift's album 1989 um it's if you've never heard it it's really cool um very different it's not pop it's more like rock and uh that's cool so just i i thought i mentioned that just to give it a listen and and i guess tell me what you thought huh might be interesting cool anything else i think that's it cool so josh what music have you been listening to this week oh gosh uh a mix of a lot of stuff I like to jump around from country to Celtic to rock to metal. Um, it's hard for me to stay all at one place, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and uh, just list off a couple specific bands or maybe specific songs that have been stuck in your head this week or something. All right, well, give me a second. Hang on. I have all my lists right here. Hang on one second. Um, for country which is my go-to because I'm a country guy. Um, anything but from the old guys like uh, Johnny Cash, um, all the way up to some newer stuff like Eric Church is good. Um, one song that I like to... I've been, there's, a, there's this one band that I don't know if they're really... They don't really play on the radio much. They're kind of like a southern rockish country. They're called the Cadillac Three. Huh. Um, don't think I've heard of them. Yeah. I think they, I don't know if they got more than just one album out currently, but they got several songs about, you know, the South and the whole, you know, where I'm from and, you know, country living and stuff that, you know, if I'm having a rough day or miss, you know, I'm homesick or whatever, get that gem out of my truck and rock out to that. So. Huh. Sounds good. Cool. Let's see. I've let's see. I've been listening to pretty much the usual this week. So I listened to a bunch of the Gaslight Anthem as always. Uh, let's and Springsteen, kind of my go-to. Uh, let's see what interesting stuff did I listen to? Oh yeah, uh, I went back and I ran across uh, the song "Bulletproof Heart" by My Chemical Romance, which I had completely forgotten about, which is actually really good. I don't know, Zach. Have you ever listened to that? I have never listened to that. I need to check that out. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, this is the kind of stuff I used to listen to in high school. Uh, and yeah, then that's mostly the usual. <laughs> oh yeah, on a on a music note, something interesting. Um, the a court recently ruled that the "Happy Birthday" song can now be used in uh, commercial. Really? Movies and stuff like that. Because before, it was legal, wasn't it? yeah, before I forget who held the rights to it, but for a while there, there's a re- like every time you would see a movie or a TV show or something, and somebody would be singing "Happy Birthday," they'd be singing some weird song that was not the you know "Happy Birthday to You." You know, they were singing something really strange, and you know, everybody was always like, "Why is that?" And I was like, "Well, because somebody held the rights to the Happy Birthday song and kept suing people for using it." Even restaurants get in trouble for that? Yeah, I mean, that's why whenever you go to a restaurant, they would sing happy birthday yeah. to you. They all had their own version or whatever. 
Yeah. So uh, recently they ruled that because it's such a common thing, they didn't really own the rights to it to the point where they could sue people for it. So that's a new thing. Um, and I probably should have looked up who owned it originally, but eh. But yeah, it was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, Zach, did you see anything else in the music news that you want to bring up? That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. So I guess we'll go ahead and move on to talking about games for a little bit because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. First thing being is that the a lot of um, voice actors for games have been talking about potentially going on strike. So there's this organization called SAG-AFTRA, uh, which stands for the Screen Actors Guild, and what was the second bit? Anyway, the point is that it's, it's a um, union, essentially, that a lot of voice actors belong to and a lot of actors also belong to, and so they've been talking about potentially going on strike to try to renegotiate some of their terms for doing acting for games because the last time they did that was when I was like four or five. So it's kind of been a while. And it's kind of interesting because one of the things they're trying to negotiate is being able to gain royalties on games if they do well enough because the kind of mantra for everybody has been that performance matters and that uh, the performance of the voice actors has enough of an effect on the game that it could mean the success or failure of the game. And that's kind of been a little bit controversial just because a lot of developers have come out and said, hold on, we work way longer and harder on this stuff and we don't even get royalties. So why should you, you get royalties? I, I was wondering, Zach, do you have any thoughts on that? That's a pretty interesting topic. I never really thought about, uh, I guess recently just being involved in the game kind of world i've kind of been able to see that there are some voice actors out there that are independent and kind of more contract ish i don't know if that's is that like always like that or so not all voice actors are part of a union but they're all they all work on like a contract basis so basically what usually happens is a publisher or a game developer will contact an agent and they'll say, you know, we're looking for a part. And they, they, one of the things that they've been complaining about is that they don't even always tell them what part they're on or what game they are because they haven't announced the game yet necessarily. Um, but what will happen is the agent will kind of work out a, an audition. The actors will come in, do an audition, and if the developers like it, then they'll bring them on on a contract basis and say, hey, okay, we're going to have you show up for a couple weeks at this studio and we're just going to record a ton of lines and we'll pay you for, you know, a certain amount per hour. And then when you're done, that's it. And one of the things they've been complaining about is the fact that they don't always know what they're getting into when they go into it. And in some cases, uh, they're coming in thinking they're going to do voice acting and they end up doing voice acting and having them do motion capture, which they're not trained for or which is a lot more strenuous and only getting paid the voice acting rate and all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, one of the other things they want is to get paid higher rates when doing extra stressful voice acting work, because there's a difference between just showing up and reading lines and doing a ton of death screams and stuff like that. Like that stuff can actually cause you to lose your voice 
which at that point means that they may not be able to do other gigs for a while until their voice comes back and all sorts of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here are some of the things, according to Forbes, some of the things that they're planning on asking for if if they do go on strike, which they haven't decided they're going to yet. Uh, one of those performance bonuses. So every two million copies of the game sold, uh, they would get a bonus. So and I, it, up to a certain amount. So it's not like they're actually getting a percentage of the game sales. It's just every time it sells, you know, every two million copies, they would get a bonus of was it like $500 or something up to like $3,000? I think, I think not hundred percent sure on that. Um, which doesn't sound unreasonable, but at the same time, it's worth taking into account that they would be the only people really getting those bonuses where you have people spending a lot more time on the game who aren't. Um, and I already mentioned vocal stress. They wanted extra pay for vocal stress. Uh, they wanted to make sure their stunt coordinators during motion capture uh, because voice acting and motion capture is such a new thing relative to how long the voice acting business has been around. A lot of times they'll have people doing motion capture and doing actual stunts for motion capture and they won't have stunt coordinators there. So you don't really know if they're going to get injured or not. And it can mess up, mess up stuff. Uh, they want greater transparency. Um, yeah. And so there's been a few other things. I haven't had time to really dig into some of the more obscure portions of it, but it's just kind of interesting. Uh, one of the things this is brought up is a lot of people saying, you know, well, why should you guys get these benefits when nobody else does? And like the, you know, the devil's advocate to that is, well, why doesn't anybody else have these benefits? Cause a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of people spending a ton of time on the, on games and they're getting paid nothing or not nothing, but like I'll, a very small amount of money considering the amount of work that's going into it. And they're not always getting a ton out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what's your opinion? Do you think that they should be getting royalties on this? Do you think they should go on strike? Do you think it's worth you know, potentially depriving games of voices for a while to get some of these potential benefits or what? Um, well, I think just from what you said, uh, from what, you've explained it just seems like a lot of the voice acting is kind of disposable work it's kind of something that's not really all that much talent based and um it seems to me that generally speaking non-talent based work is something that isn't gonna get paid all that much in the first place and i, I would assume that there are people in the industry that are very that have this t talent for this stuff they're like really good and they kind of have a high demand um, for the, the games, game developers really want to to have them in their games. So I would assume those people especially have higher pay, have more demand, and they can kind of set their own rates and stuff. But the people that are kind of low in the game, so to speak, um, just don't have, they don't have that demand and they really don't have that much talent or they haven't shown it yet. Um, so they can't really, really ask for that much of a raise um but then again i don't really know the industry that much what about yeah so that brings up an interesting point uh up until now like i guess 90s early 2000s it wasn't really performance based at all and a lot of it was hey look we just need somebody to say go 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 enemy sighted and you know make a few death screams and lately as games have become more and more story based and as 
we've moved to games being a little bit more reliant on voice actors being able to voice these lines with the correct amount of performance and actually be able to act it's become a lot more performance-based which is kind of what's caused this shift um and publishers still view voice actors in the same light as they did you know 20 years ago when the actual business was a lot different and what the voice <laughs> actors were actually doing was a lot different uh, and so it might just be outdated mentality in some cases and what you were saying about uh, how you know some people should be able to demand these rates and some people can't is an interesting point but the thing is that because a lot of this is done through unions if it's either you know everybody gets benefits or nobody does and so people get you know the people that are higher skilled are going to get paid more but the kind of the way this stuff is set up is through the union right so it's not each individual person necessarily setting what they make it's a lot of it's done through the agents and through the union so the only like the real way for them to get that change is to go through the union which is why a lot of the a lot of them are talking about going on strike to fix stuff like that it's one of those weird union things um you know the upside is that it could result in some of the you know smaller voice actors who are part of the guild getting some of these benefits but at the same time it might make it more difficult to you know or more expensive to hire those smaller actors which may end up working on smaller indie projects um one of the other weird things about unions that i was hearing and i'm not 100 percent sure about this was that with the the way that the sag stuff works is that if you hire one voice actor from the union to work on your game all of the voices in your game have to be union you can't mix and match which is great if you're a huge publisher because you're just like okay well we'll just hire all the people through this union it's fine uh, you know we have the money but if you're a small indie developer that wants to have you know one big budget voice and everybody else voiced by the dev team and you've got enough decent enough people on the dev team that you can swing that and you can have maybe the main character voiced by you know uh, Nolan North or somebody who's known for being really good you can't really do that you either have to go it's like all or nothing which is a little frustrating but uh, I don't think that's something that's necessarily tied to the strike it's just that's something that happens in general I don't know yeah Josh what do you think you want to weigh in well you know I can see both sides of the argument you know I can see where the gamers <clears throat> the game producers are like look all you're doing is reading some lines you know and we're sitting here you know, six bottles of Mountain Dew and four bags of Doritos into this code at two in the morning, you know, I haven't slept in 72 hours. But I also see where the voice actors are coming from because we're moving into a, an age where a lot of our entertainment isn't uh, human actors, if you will. I mean, look at Pixar, you know, look at, um, you know, the, the, the video games are coming out. Like, I, I'm a huge... Uh, Call of Duty fan because of the storyline. I love a good story. So I expect there to be good actors. You know what I mean? Good voiceovers. And so if these actors are coming in, they don't know what they're reading and they're expecting to only come in for a read. And then all of a sudden they're at skin being asked to, you know, jump off, whatever, do stunts for this, or that, and the other. And there's nobody there for a safety guideline. That's an issue. You know, you, you, you know, you, you don't want to get hurt on set because then you have liability issues. So I can see both sides. It's definitely an interesting concept. Um, unions are a blessing and a cursing, though. 
They they can either be really good or really bad. So I don't know. I feel like there could be a compromise. I think that if the voice actors get royalties, the guys who are putting the blood and sweat into it definitely should get royalties themselves. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree. Uh, one thing I've heard thrown around is that you know, rising tide raises all ships. So hopefully, what would happen uh, come out of this is if they did go on strike, it would kind of raise awareness to the fact that just conditions across the board are not great, yeah. and kind of encourage publishers to improve conditions across the board. <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think, Zach? Do you agree? Yeah. Disagree? Yeah. Just just one word. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I mean that works. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot more to be said about it until something actually happens, and they're supposed to be voting here in a few weeks, and I guess we'll see we'll see what happens. I'd, I'd be a bit amused if they decided to go on strike, and then everybody was just like, well, uh, I guess we're not using union actors anymore, and they just went back to having the dev team voice everything, which could mean, you know, a year or two of really terrible voices, which would almost be kind of amusing. But Or some new really good actors that we never knew we had. Maybe I mean yeah, maybe there is somebody down in accounting that can that's really great at doing voices. I mean, Who you knows? Know the, one of the rumors beside behind Harrison Ford, right? One of the rumors was he was just a janitor and they needed somebody to cover for a guy who didn't show up, and we found Harrison Ford. So you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll increase visibility. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you mentioned Call of Duty. It's a perfect uh, transition. There was an interesting thing that happened with the Call of Duty Black Ops 3 Twitter account recently. I don't know. Did you hear about this, Zach? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So their account is a verified Twitter account, which, you know, it just means it has a little blue check by it. It means that, you know, somebody from Twitter went in and, you know, had them mail in some information and, you know, make an agreement saying, yes, we really are these people. And so they're like, okay, yeah, check. Well, they did something a little interesting as part of, as part of a publicity stunt. And what they did was they changed their Twitter icon and description to make it look like they were a news service. And then they tweeted out fake news reports about a fictional terrorist attack, which was part of this you know PR campaign. Well, here's the thing. It wasn't exactly obvious that it was fake. <laughs> and on top of that, this goes directly against the Twitter verified agreement. Because what happens is you have this news account, what appears to be a news account, with a blue check next to it saying that they are who they say they are. And you have to sign an agreement saying you specifically that you won't do that kind of thing when you do that. So they kind of got in trouble. So... Uh, there's been a little bit of a, a little bit of debate going back and forth because people were like, well, yeah, we all knew that it was the it was the Black Ops Twitter account, and you know, like, can't you people take a joke? And other people were like, no, this is insane. What if, you know, what if I had people in the area where they said there was a Twitter attack, and I mean, not a Twitter attack, uh, <laughs> a terrorist attack. Yeah, it's a Twitter attack. Um, where they said there was a terrorist attack, and maybe I freaked out because I thought some of my family had died. You know, it's. It's a little interesting and, you know, a little potentially dishonest. What was the point behind it? Was it to further their new the Black Ops 3 is coming out? What was the 
Yeah, they've always kind of gone by the idea that any pl- publicity is good publicity. I mean, that's why you have st- you had stuff like no the no Russian campaign in uh, Modern Warfare Two. It was just like you know we want to shock people to get get more people talking about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad level, but it was like the main point of it being there was to get people to talk about it. And the the you know the attack was suppo- the 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 fake news story was supposed to be directly tied to the campaign of Black Ops Three, and there were you know like in the th- they tweeted four or five different tweets about it, and in the like the fourth or f- like I guess the fifth one I think they had uh, a reference to a like fake corporation that was part of the Black Ops universe. But the thing is, if you didn't already know and play a ton of black ops and happen to remember who that was, you would have no idea that it wasn't real. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, Zach, what, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a great, a great PR move or do you think maybe it was a bad one, but it was acceptable or what? Um, I think that's kind of, it's kind of hilarious. Um, honestly, I think it was bad. I think it was kind of stupid. Um, I guess my question is, do you think it was unethical or just dumb? Uh, I would say slightly unethical and totally dumb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of fall in the same place. And I guess the, the one of the bigger issues is the fact that it was a verified account, too. And that it, was, it wasn't like The Onion, you know, where you know everything that The Onion posts is fake. And they write their headlines in a way that, like, you, I mean, you can tell that it's fake. It was one of those things where it presents itself as real and it's just, really really dishonest and sketchy overall just really rubs me the wrong way yeah i don't know what do you think josh well i guess coming from the military side you know viewpoint you know with where we're taught opsec and you know terrorist attack procedures and everything <clears throat> the the time we live in, I mean, I, I get it, especially since, you know, I had a hunch it was probably promo for the new Black Ops 3. Okay. But the fact that we live in an age where we are legitimately fighting a war on terror and we never know when the next, you know, bomb will go off, at, you know, on home soil. I mean, we, you know, we had a school shooting this morning. So with, with stuff happening everywhere in our country with terrorist threats, who knows what's going to happen. Making a fake one was not just unethical, it was just stupid. You know, it's just, I mean, for all we know, the FBI got red alert, you know, it, it could have gotten really out of hand real quickly. Um, if they had made it very obvious it was a fake, or made it more obvious that it was a completely just a little buff for their new video game, I would have been okay with it. It's funny. But if it looked legit and they made it look like they were a verified source, I got an issue with that. Terrorism isn't something you joke around with. You know, pre-9-11, sure, we didn't really worry about it. But nowadays, that's not something you mess with. Terrorism isn't funny. Yeah, and I heard somebody else mention something like it. It would have been less of an issue if you were dealing with a, you know, more fictional universe, something that wasn't supposed to be so realistic. You know, if you're dealing with like Deus Ex or something and you're like, the machines are taking over that, you know, there was cyborgs attacked in this city, you know, then everybody would look at it and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, you know, that's a promo for Deus Ex or something like that, you know. But the fact that it was written in such a way that it could, you know, if 
if I say I followed that account and I retweeted it and, you know, my mom read it, she wouldn't necessarily know. Actually, she'd have no way of knowing that that was some sort of PR ad, even if I did. And it was just like, oh, this is funny. I want to retweet it. So I don't know. I, I think it's the issue is the fact that it it was in poor taste and it was presented as if it was real. Yes. That was dangerous. Yeah. So yeah, bad move. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. I... One quick question though: Is there any legal allocations being put up against them? Because if they faked a false terrorist attack, I'm sure there's probably some kind of legal issue they could have fallen into under real quick. Have you heard? Is they're getting investigated or anything? I think they're really just in trouble with Twitter. Okay. Because uh, it was generally like anybody who took a few minutes to dig into like what actually what actual Twitter account it was and kind of scroll down through their other tweets could tell that it was a black ops account. So no like government or organizations freaked out about it or anything like that. It was just uh, Twitter took issue with it because it was directly violating their terms of service for verified accounts and stuff like that. And so it, that got shut down real fast. Uh, I feel like. If it had been any more vague or, you know, if if any legitimate news sources had freaked out and picked it up because things like that have happened before, <laughs> um, then then we might have an, like a legitimate legal issue. Um, I don't know if that qualifies as fraud, but it seems like the kind of thing that would. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe there'll be a little bit more fallout from it. <laughs> Fun to talk about, at least. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh, something interesting. Uh, we talked about, I think we talked about a few weeks ago, the Deus Ex pre-order scheme. Do you remember if we talked about that, Zach? I know I meant to, meant to, but I don't remember if I brought it up. Um, I can't remember that. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just kind of go over it again. Uh, we were talking about pre-orders a little while ago and some crazy stuff. And, uh, the Deus Ex devs or the publisher, decided that it'd be a great idea to have a pre-order scheme that worked like Kickstarter, where you'd have, uh, based on how many people pre-ordered the game, different things would unlock. Which is a little not ideal to begin with, because it means that potentially there are pieces of the game that you could never have access to if not enough people pre-order. Uh, it seems like kind of a sketchy way to try to convince people to pre-order. But on top of that, uh, based on how many pre-orders they would get, each customer would be able to pick one of a number of rewards in the game. And what this means is that no matter how many of those tiers were unlocked, and no matter what you pick, there are always going to be things in the game that you'd miss out on. Because you have to choose. And they, they called it Augment Your Pre-order. And it's like, you get to choose the experience that you have. But the problem is that no matter what you choose, there are things you're missing out on. So there was a huge backlash against this. Uh, people were uh, not exactly pleased uh, because, you know, one of the things about Deus Ex was that you get to choose things in the game, not have to choose things only if you pre-order. And no matter wh how much you pay or what you, you know, how early you pre-order it, you don't get all the game. So they recently uh, backtracked a little bit. And I think they're still offering some sort of like, you know, platform exclusive stuff, but uh, they did release a message on their site talking about how they were, you know, rolling that back and not 
not going quite as crazy with the augment your pre-order stuff. Let's see if I can find it real fast. Um, yeah, so they're shutting down augment your pre-order. Uh, well, it doesn't want to load. But anyway, the upshot of it is, is that they, because of so, there was so much backlash, they actually backtracked on it and decided to scale some of that stuff back. I mean, what are your thoughts on it in general? Just that whole pre-order scheme, and you know, do you think it was right for them to back down, or should they have just stuck to it, or what? Ah, are you asking me? Yes. All right, uh, man, it's kind of hard for me to like putting myself in their shoes. I would not do that at all, but I can see why they would possibly want to do it, if only just to make an extra buck. Um. I'm not sure how desperate they are for money or anything. I bet they're not. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't do that. If I was a game developer, I would definitely not do that. I think that it's kind of cool to have, like, you know, your own custom version of something, something that's not necessarily all that common um, if you're comparing to your friends and stuff. But uh, at the same time, it to have to require the users to purchase a new version of the game to get something different which i don't even know if that's even possible but if it was they'd have to purchase a new version of the game to get a different experience to try it out and that's kind of pricey to do that so i personally am a fan of either the pay once model or the free model yeah, I mean, like, it's one thing to offer DLC where you can choose to buy it or not to buy it, but it's another thing to just say, yeah, pretty much whatever you do, there are bits that you aren't going to get. And, they, you know, they tried to spin it as a positive thing, and just that, that just didn't go over well with the Deus Ex fan base. So, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think, Josh? You come from a little bit different gaming background. Yeah, well, I got Deus Ex back when it came out because I thought it was awesome, the idea that you could mod yourself in the game right which is a fundamental part of what made the game so cool so i mean it boils down to the fact that you didn't make it i didn't make it the guys that you know deus ex whatever what the company is i forget their name who makes deus ex they made it so they can choose how they want to sell it but how they choose to sell it will reflect whether will the model they use to sell, I guess what I'm trying to say, is going to affect their sales. So if you tick off a lot of your customers, that's probably not a good idea. You know, and I would be very upset finding out that I wouldn't be able to get the whole game regardless of how much I paid for it or how early I pre ordered it. That doesn't seem fair to me. So I kind of agree with the customers. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's your game and you can do what you want with it. But now I'm irritated. So now I might not buy a third one. So I don't really think it was probably the best business proposition, especially when you, you came out with one concept and you advertised that and you got such a huge positive feedback and then you change it that quickly. That's just not good marketing in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I kind of have to agree. And you know, yeah, I find it feel, kind of feel bad for the developers too, because it wasn't the developers that actually, you know, came up with the whole scheme. It's the publisher that did it, and so you know, it's it's 
got to be kind of frustrating as a developer working on something to be like, yeah, we kind of know, we know our fan base, we know what they want. And the publisher will be like, yeah, we can sell them on this game. Just, I mean, charge them a much more money. And the developer will be like, no, no, I don't do that. You're going to piss them off. And they're like, no, no, it'll be fine. They'll buy it. <laughs> and I, I'm glad they at least backtracked on it because, I mean, I didn't want to buy it the way it was. And I really want to play more Deus Ex because I like, uh, I played a bit of the first one. I really liked it. And I played, Deus Ex Human Revolution two or three times. That's great. Um, but yeah. So I, I, I'm glad that you know, we don't always see fan outrage actually having an effect on what the companies do. A lot of times they just ignore stuff like that. But it's really nice to see some like a publisher actually listening for once and being like, oh, we, uh, we actually might have messed up. Maybe we should fix this. Have they put anything else out besides Deus Ex? Uh, I think the publisher has. Uh, I'd have to go look it up. Um, that might have to do with it. That, this is their you know, first big breakthrough. You know, and they're counting on you know, more successful games. That might have something to do with it. And going, hmm, maybe we should rethink this idea. Well, it, uh, let me look and see who's published by. I feel like it's a pretty big publisher. So, um, uh, oh, it's yeah, it's the publisher is uh, Square Enix. Yeah, that, that's so, so I mean they're huge. So they're, they're they're used to kind of being able to get away with whatever they want, and a lot of the things that they used in the pre-order scheme were, or at least pieces of it were used in other things that were able to be successful. It's just that combination tended uh, ended up being really bad, just the way that it went down and everything, and the way that they tried really hard to sell it as a positive thing when er all the fans were looking at it and be like, wait, hold on, so you're telling me that I have to choose between which portions of the game I get based on you're like, and I, I don't get both. There's no case where I can get both. I can't even pay more and get both. I just don't get it. It's like, uh, that doesn't sound like a good thing to me. Like, no, 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 yeah, it's good. So I don't know. I, I think it was just one of those things where it sounded really great on paper to the publisher <laughs> and did not sound good to the customer at all. And they finally realized it and fixed it. So it happens sometimes. Yeah, it happens. So, yeah. A any final thoughts on that, Zach? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I gather from what you said, it, they fixed the problem or. or yeah, I, to, to a certain extent. There's some other, like, they're still pushing pre orders pretty hard. And I think there's some, there are still some things where there's certain content that's exclusive to certain uh, uh, consoles, which is still frustrating, but they got rid of the whole augment your pre order thing, which was the. The biggest uh, issue. Well, in that case, yeah. I mean, kudos to them for fixing the problem. Yeah, at least partially. Uh, they at least did something. Yeah. So another thing that we talked about in the past that I wanted to bring up again was we were talking about uh, things that were kickstarted or that were funded and then just have never come out or have taken forever to come out. Half-Life. <laughs> Well, Half-Life wasn't at least... Well, uh, Josh said Half-Life. I don't know if you heard, but uh, Half-Life was... They've just been talking about coming out, uh, bringing it out. It hasn't actually been funded by... or There haven't been pre-orders listed or anything like that. I meant the Half-Life movie. Uh, even that, like it wasn't funded by um, like actual customers paying for it. it. It's just the kind of thing where it was announced at one point. Oh, hold on. Hold on. We may have something new and interesting. Tell me about this thing, because there's apparently Josh has heard of something that I haven't in this yeah. thing having to do with Half-Life. It was about, oh, I think, a year and a half ago, and I was in Great Lakes, 
and uh, it was on Kickstarter, and there was a group of people trying to make a Half-Life movie. And I've gotten some updates from it recently. I can see if I can find it while y'all are talking about other things. I'll bring it back up. But they've come quite a ways. They have a lot of support. And they're looking at being able to make the first video game into a legitimate movie. And they have some really good uh, graphics and uh, some special effects going on that make might make it pretty decent. And I don't know if the campaign... I think the campaign's still going. You can still donate to it. And you go at a certain amount, you can get a poster. I donate a certain amount that I get mine. Uh, when it finally is done, I get the DVD uh, autographed by the main actor who's playing. Um, wow, I totally blanked on uh, the main character's name. Help me out here. Gordon Freeman. Thank you, Gordon Freeman. Wow, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. Hang on. Okay. It sounds a little different from what I was about to, the tantrum was about to go on, but we'll come back to it. Um, well, what I was thinking of was more along the lines of we were talking about overgrowth a little while ago, which is something that I pre-ordered in 2010 and it's not really any closer to completion. Uh, although first off there's an update on that and they're actually hiring more people now because it was only like three people working on it. And so they're actually kind of spinning up development on a little bit more, which is nice. So maybe it'll come out eventually, but there was another project called star citizen, which was a Kickstarter a while ago. Uh, that had a goal of five hundred thousand dollars, and they made over two million on the <laughs> Kickstarter. Nice, and that's all well and good, except that the issue is that there's been this like scope creep where they're like, okay, well, the more money you give to us, the bigger we're going to make the game. To the point that the scope that they're planning on making the game is so insane, it's going to take like four or five years to complete. And there are other developers looking at it, and being like, there's no way that they can do that. And so there's, there's been a bunch of controversy over it. And um, people have been, you know, uh, some people actually went and uh, the Escapist magazine, which is a, uh, a news source or a gaming news source, uh, went and interviewed some of the people on the team and talked about it. Um, and it's, it seems like they're having a bit of an issue dealing with the scope. Um, yeah, but uh, I guess like, what's your thought on games where, so so traditionally the way it would work is that game developers would, desi- would decide what the scope of their game was going to be. They would pitch it to somebody, they would be given a set amount of money, and then they would have to make the game that they said within that set amount of money, and then that was it. And maybe if they need a little bit more money, they could go get some more investors, but pretty much that was what they were stuck with. They knew what scope they needed, and more often than not, they needed to cut things, not add more content but these days with stuff like kickstarter you end up having the ability to just like uh, infinitely increase your scope based on how much money you get which could mean potentially that your game is in development indefinitely and nobody ever gets anything so like what's your thought on that um well like how do you think they should deal with that and do you think that's a good model or what i i think to an extent i think um there's kind of a fine balance you have to be willing to you know increase your scope with the amount of money that you have to reward your your customers effectively um, but i think at the same time you're kind of doing them a disservice by like extending the deadline like by how many years was was the original deadline uh i think it was like two probably like two right so so like they said four after like two million so it's like another two years and it's kind of like 
are you are you really rewarding your customers at that point or or are you like kind of doing the, them a disservice so to speak i guess that's the question like there's a lot of people that are really invested in it and have spent a ton of money on it and you know, maybe some of them are, are going to be are happy with waiting and just waiting and seeing if it gets bigger and bigger. But I, I kind of have the feeling that like when it comes out, if it comes out, it's not going to be what anybody expected. You know, so I'm sure there's some people out there that's like, look, I don't want all this extra stuff. Just finish the game that you promised and just put that out. Just that. Yeah. Um, and like the scope is so insane. Let's see. Uh, there's a quote from this escapist article. It, quote, according to several former employees and industry veterans, the reason Star Citizen is so popular is because it's never been done. And they can, and uh, the reason it's never been done is because it can't be done, at least not with $90 million, which was kind of what they were, they were pitching trying to get um, after the Kickstarter, after they increased the scope. Whoa. Um, and, yeah. The, phew. um, yeah. I mean, honestly, if I was in their shoes, what I would do is release the game in the amount of time that they originally said, so like two years, and then they could create an even better game, maybe like a sequel or whatever. I don't even know what the game is, but something that kind of came after that for with the rest of the money that they didn't spend on the first game. Yeah, I mean, even stuff like, in a lot of cases, some of the people would say, like, um, you know, if we get extra money that we we didn't expect, then we'll just kind of, you know, we'll use it for advertising or whatever, but you know, we may just end up using it to give bonuses to our developers, and then we'll just kind of stick to what we wanted, which I think is a better idea. But, you know, um, these like the, the main guy in charge of it is named... I, I'm totally blanking on his name all of a sudden. Uh yeah, so uh, Chris Roberts is the—he's an industry veteran. He's the guy that created Star Citizen, and one of the things they were saying is that all the money that they would get would be poured back into the game. And the problem is because they keep getting money, it just the scope keeps increasing. And um, yeah, I don't know if um, yeah. I'd say that's pretty impressive, yeah. though, for a game to make like almost ninety million dollars. Uh, I don't think it's how I don't think it's actually how much they made. I think it was what what they thought it was going to cost for the current scope. Oh no, okay. The in August twenty fourteen, the campaign reached forty nine million, um, with Roberts stating that they still needed additional funds in order to sustain this level of development. Oh, and the game has to this date raised nearly ninety million through crowdfunding. Okay, yeah. So that was right. I just needed to check that. Um, it's according to the escapist, by the way. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess here's the real issue is that, you know, they pledged all this money with the expectation that the, they would be delivered a complete title on the promised time period. And now it's just kind of going on and on and being delayed and being delayed. And then they're the like the reason for the delay is because they've had more money so they're trying to put more into it and people are just like look i just i just want a game i don't know yeah i don't know what, what do you think josh to be honest i'm sorry i was re actually looking at my half-life thing and i missed half the 
what you were saying. So I'm not going to comment on it because I don't want to comment on something that I didn't get all the information on. But I will say $90 million raised for a game is a lot of money. <laughs> well, yeah, for crowdfunding especially. Exactly. That's yeah. incredible. Um, but the thing is, like, for what they're trying to do, that's not enough. Um, yeah. Is it open source world? What, what, what are they trying to do? I missed the yeah, scope with the ramifications. If it, you can summarize real quick. Well, okay, so the, the game itself, Star Citizen, is like, you know, it's supposed to be a, you know, open space world where you can have a ship and fly around and all that. Um, and they're just adding features and features and features and features. And, you know, it's, it's supposed to be some pretty insane stuff. But I, I've honestly lock, lost track of what the current feature list is supposed to be. But the main issue is they just keep adding things and adding things and adding things and, you know, based on every time they get more money and then pushing the game back and pushing the game back. Yeah. I don't know. And there's a bunch more issues. I would say just go, I'll link the article. Go, go read the article to see some of the, there's been some internal development issues on top of the money issue. But I think the main thing, the main thing for me was that um, it, it's, it's frustrating as somebody funding things or helping to fund things to, you know, send money to a project and then have them change the scope of it on you. Because, you know, you're like, okay, I see this specific thing. They kind of laid out specifically what they want to do. And I want that to happen, like specifically that. And then when they're like, oh, well, we got so much money, we're just going to change the scope of it now. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I don't want something with infinite scope and infinite number of things I can do. Maybe I just wanted, you know, a small space sim where I could fly around in one ship and do a set number of things. Um, even their original pitch was pretty ambitious, but like it's just getting to the point where it's insane. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe Maybe it'll come out in a few years and I'll just be completely wrong. But yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, let's go back to Josh and have him explain uh, some more about this Half-Life thing, which is kind of interesting. I'm kind of curious to see how that's how that's coming along. Okay, so I'm not really a nerd, especially when it comes to video games. I'm more of a, I look to the video games, grab the military shooter one, and I'm, I'm good to go. But one of the few ones I do nerd out over is Portal. Right, I, I just love that game, and that game led me to Half-Life. <clears throat> well, like I was saying earlier, about a year or two ago, I found this Kickstarter program that they were trying to make a movie out of the Half-Life games. I was like, that would be awesome. So, invested in it, lost track of it, forgot about it, but I kept getting their emails. So, I just looked it up. The movie's called The Freeman Chronicles. The website's uh, thefreemanchronicles.com. Uh, excitingly, they are actually in the post-production part of the film. They've been working on it for over two years. I think it says in here somewhere they raised over five hundred thousand um, <clears> dollars. It, it's it's a a garage project, if you will. It's a bunch of guys and gals who are just half-life nerds who are putting a lot of time and energy into this. And if you go to the website, the pictures look crazy awesome. It looks like it might be pretty legit. Um, <clears throat> they don't have an official deadline when it's going to be done, but they uh, on the website say, uh, keep your eye on the 11-8-15 date. Something is sure to happen on that date. So they're not really being specific, so I don't know if they're maybe going to release the first commercial for it to kind of give us a taste of what 
people who like me who've invested in it have been waiting for. Um, I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty stoked. So if you're a big Half-Life fan, go check them out. And they're still looking for donations to speed up the post-production. So if you're interested, help them out. So I, I guess the thing like I'm curious about looking at that is like, do they have uh, it says it's like you know the un, an unofficial project uh, do do they have like approval from Valve to use their trademark and stuff like that because like I mean they have it doesn't seem like they've taken legal action yet but that doesn't mean they necessarily couldn't especially since they're accepting money for it um, if I remember correctly when I was looking at it um, they got Valve's thumbs up just because Valve didn't feel like putting the money into making a movie, but they were just kind of curious of <clears throat> what can these guys do? So they didn't get any financial support from Valve, <clears throat> but I think they got all the legal actions cleared because it's down to the T exact copy. Some of this gear they're using. Um, so excuse me. <clears throat> if they did not get uh, legal thumbs up, if you will, they'd be in some serious copyright problems because I mean, down to a lot of the script from what I've read is verbatim from the game for some sections of it. So I better hope, I really hope they got thumbs up because otherwise this movie is never happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put it past Valve to okay something like that because I know they uh, actually, there was a fan remake of um, Half-Life, like the original game called Black Mesa, which is great. It's free and it's on Steam. And originally it was a mod and the the valve like people were kind of wondering if valve would let them do that because it's using their trademark and even though it was put out for free it was you know like i don't know like you know technically valve could shut it down if they wanted to and what valve ended up doing was they contacted the developers gave them access to the uh, source engine source code and we're like yeah yeah we'll we'll help you build your own version of the engine for this and we'll put it on steam so they okayed stuff like that. So I wouldn't put that past them. I'll just like, I would hate to see something like that. You know, people put tons of issues in, or not issues, but tons of time and you're know, working through tons of issues and tons of money. And then it, uh, Valve just be like, eh, no, we don't really want you using our trademark. That's what I like about Valve. You know, I've always really appreciated their viewpoint, if you will, on just stuff like that. They just, I've always seemed to me be kind of more of a laid back, more of a, wanting to help people and, and encourage people to be creative and get out there and try new things type of company compared to others who they're just like, no, that's mine. Don't touch it type of people. You know what I mean? I've always liked that about them. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, it sounds interesting. I don't know. Have you, had you heard anything about this project, Zach? And do you have any, any thoughts? Um, I never heard about it. Uh, that's pretty cool though. I've never played the game, so I kind of don't really know anything about i mean i've seen i've seen screenshots and stuff and of uh half-life but i've never really played the games i do like portal though portal is pretty awesome if they made a movie of that that'd be pretty rad i'd buy it in a heartbeat portal would be a little hard to make a movie of but i'd watch it Uh, even if it was bad i'd watch it well really though you have one character and just some cgi of a blue and I think the hardest part would be getting her to transport through the portals would probably be the trickiest part. I actually think the hardest bit would be getting the like story of the game to translate into movie form because a lot of what's happening with the story is what you're doing. It's a lot of just things happening. So like, physics involved. Yeah, it's it's the story is the puzzle. Yeah. So it almost be it have to be like more of an art film where it's. <laughs> 
in the sense that it's a lot of like watching somebody solve some puzzles um, or you'd have to spin it in a different way. Actually, what I think would work better is a movie about the creation of Aperture Science, yes. the, yes. the company, yes. uh, you know, and you could even have um, what's his face? Um, the guy that the plays rat. Cave Johnson. Um, oh. The one who's hiding all day? No, uh, Cave Johnson, the the guy who started Aperture Science. Yeah, Cave Johnson. Yeah, wh- what's the actor's name? Oh, um. Oh, I know his name. What is it? He also played the newspaper man in Spider-Man, the old one. I always forget his name, and I don't know why. This is Cave Johnson here. Yeah. Uh, like because he's an actual actor, you could have him actually play Cave Johnson, and it'd be great. Um, uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, you could actually have J.K. Simmons play Cave Johnson, starting Aperture Science, and then have a whole story around that. And I think that would work way better. Yeah. It'd be great. Because you know, the game just kind of gives you <clears throat> parts and pieces, and you kind of figure out that she's. Well, I won't get spoiled alerts for people who haven't played it, but you kind of figure out the storyline. You're like, ah, oh, I'm in trouble. But you don't get all the juicy parts of where they went wrong, you know? Yeah. Zach, did you ever play Portal 2? I haven't, sadly. Okay. So you should. Like, a lot of stuff we're talking about, like with Cave Johnson and all that, yeah. is from Portal 2. And Portal 2 is just like Portal 1, but way better. The storyline gets really intense in Portal 2. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't even know how we got off on that tangent. Uh, oh, yeah, the Half-Life thing. Yeah. No, it's all good. Uh, let's see. we got a few more things. I mean, we're we're going to run overtime today, I think, a little bit. Not much. Um, it was an interesting thing. Uh, so back in the day, one of the first few video games that I played uh, as a kid, they had game consoles set up at McDonald's back in the day. And... I distinctly remember going and playing. They had, I think, a PS1 set up at one point and going and playing um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, which was (laughs) real fun. And I actually have it. It's sitting not 10 feet away from me. And I played a little bit of it yesterday. It was a great game. Well, they just came out with a new one, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. And it's been a while since they've actually made a main game in the Tony Hawk Pro Skater, uh, you know, like that series. They have spinoff games a bunch, but... It's been a while since they've made one in the main series. And everybody was like, I really hope this is good because I really like Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It was kind of the skating game. And I don't even like skating games, but I like Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Well, the new one's kind of um, not good. Everybody was like, they, you know, they saw videos of it and they're like, I mean, it looks kind of all right. And then people started playing it and they have and there's so much really bad design about it. So it's only online. Because whenever you log into a game, you start out in a one of the levels with a bunch of other people skating around. But you can't interact with them. Running into them does nothing. You go straight through them. Um, if you want to create a multiplayer game and do a multiplayer match with those people, you have to manually invite each and every one of them. If you just go to the menu in that level and select multiplayer, it moves you to a different game level with other people searching for a game. If you want to load any of the challenges in that level, it reloads the entire level, takes all those people out, and puts you in it by yourself for no reason. It's, yeah, it's not good. And apparently it's super buggy, too. So just worth mentioning. Like, I don't know. It's really disappointing to see stuff like that where it's like, oh, a new game that I remember from my childhood. Or a new game in a series I remember from my childhood. Oh, it's not good. 
I don't know. Have you ever played Tony Hawk Pro Skater at all, Zach? I haven't. No. Well, maybe right. once or it's twice. really good. I'll have to. We'll have to hang out and play it sometime. Whenever you're back in town, um, it's real good. Yeah. I don't know. Did you ever play that, Josh? <laughs> if it wasn't a gun and I wasn't shooting terrorists or communists, I probably have not played it. <laughs> I do really want to make a skateboarding game with like uh, swords or something where you you like skateboard around and i know there was a game that had a skateboard that had guns what was it um it was recent ah i want to say maximum overdrive but that was a movie that's not a game oh if you put me on a skateboard with an m16 or something rpg and i'm i'm skating around shooting the crap out of people I will buy that in a heartbeat and play it all day long. <laughs> it sounds like something that would happen in Saints Row, but I really wanted to make one make a game that's like super focused on like the flow of skateboarding and taking out enemies at the same time. What was that game? Uh, it didn't do all that well, but the concept sounded great. It was, I don't know, maybe I'll remember it later. Um, anyway, but the. the just the point being, it was a really good, solid skating game with, you know, just based on the flow of doing tricks and going from, you know, you know, going from a jump to grinding on a rail, going downstairs, going up ramps and all sorts of stuff. It was cool. And then the new one was just not good. Disappointing. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about was I wanted, and this is going to take a little bit, uh, I've been playing through. I, I I mentioned I think before that I was playing a little bit of Metal Gear Solid Five, which is real good, and uh, I kind of took a break from playing that, and went back to play all the ones leading up to it because I hadn't. I'd only played Metal Gear Solid Two, and when I, that was when I was in high school, so it was a little while ago. So Josh and I have actually been playing through all of them. We're on three right now. So we played through one and two back to back, and then immediately started three, and so we're part way through three now. Um, and I don't know, Zach, have you ever played any Metal Gear or heard of Metal Gear? Nope, I haven't. It's awesome. <laughs> it's insane. It's in the best possible way. So basically what it is, is it's a stealth game. It started out as uh, Metal Gear was the original name of the game. And it was like a SNES game or a NES game, I think, actually. And it, and the, it was originally going to be like this military game where you'd run in and shoot a bunch of bad guys and all that. And they, it wasn't even a NES game originally. It was for some other console. And the issue was that they could only have like three or four enemies on screen at once. So they decided to make it a stealth game. And it kind of stuck. And, the you know, the basic idea is there was these, uh, you know, big mech style things called Metal Gears that had nuclear weapons and all sorts of stuff. And it was kind of, you know, just a generic, you know, a generic military storyline with some, you know, political intrigue and all that. And uh, the, the first one that was kind of big was Metal Gear Solid for the PS1. And it was, it starts out like fairly normal, you know, you're this, you're this, uh, you know, military guy that's retired, but they bring you back. You don't want to come back, but they bring you back and blackmail you into working on this mission because the terrorists have a metal gear and a nuke and they're threatening to launch it from this island. And you're like, okay, that's fairly, that's fairly normal. You go on there and the gameplay is super frustrating and not that great. And, uh, and then you kind of get in there and all of a sudden, uh, these people start showing up that seem to have superpowers and you figure out that it's because of nanomachines. And then you figure out that there's all this intrigue and the bad guys might not actually be bad guys. And then all this insane stuff happens and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Two words to describe metal gear plot 
twist. Yeah. All it, the time. So many plot <laughs> twists. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you if you take it seriously, you won't enjoy it at all. But if you just go with it, you're like, yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds amazing. Um, like, well, And right when you think you have it all figured out, it's like, nope, it's all wrong. You start from square zero and you're, you're figuring it all out all over again. Well, and the uh, like the first game starts off like it's got some weird stuff in it, but it's kind of normal. But then that one succeeded so much. You're like, maybe there was just some weird, you know, I don't know. Maybe was, there was a little bit of weirdness, but I'm sure that wasn't the main thing of the game. Well, you kind of realize in the second game, uh, Hideo Kojima, which is the guy that designed and wrote all of the Metal Gear games. Uh, the crazy stuff was the stuff he really wanted in the game because he was kind of like taken off the leash, per se, for the like, you're like. Taken off the leash, if you will, for the second game, and that it it was kind of crazy in the first one, but it goes completely off the rails in the second game, and it does so many insane insane things, and there's so many like fourth wall breaking things that are amazing. Like in the first one, there's a bit where they're like, "Oh, we're gonna use the nano machines to heal your wounds." Take the controller and place it against your arm, and then you're like, "What?" <laughs> so you do, and then it like vibrates the controller and it's like we're using the nano machines to stimulate the muscle tissue in your arm to heal it and you're like this is insane there's there's an enemy that will uh quote read your mind and what it does is it uh like looks at the save card and reads off the names of games that you've been playing and then if you haven't been doing well in the game it'd be like you aren't a very good soldier are you and you're like oh, how did you know that and then it'd be like you like to save a lot. You're very cautious. And you're like, how did he know that? You know, I mean, you know how he knew that. But like, it's it's just crazy fourth wall breaking stuff, which is great. Uh, in the second one, there's a bit where like things are getting weirder and weirder. And then at one point you're doing something that somebody on the radio doesn't want you to do. And at one point they're just like, uh, you know, they're like, stop, turn around. They're talking to the main character, like, stop, you know, don't go this way. Don't do this. I'm ordering you to go the other way. And then they're like, they're like, turn off the console and you're like what like they just stop it stops talking to the main character and starts talking directly <laughs> to the player and it's really weird and then on top of that there's a bit where there's like spoilers a little bit i mean i've been kind of spoiling a little bit but it's old enough that it doesn't matter there's a bit where it starts doing false endings where it will show you the game over screen as if the game stopped but you're still playing, but you're still playing the game almost killed on, the first time. yeah <laughs> on the game over screen it's insane the but new game has a bit where a whale that is on fire swallows a helicopter it's insane it's in the fifth one yeah josh has no idea what i'm talking about but uh it's so insane it's so great but uh, I, I guess the thing that i like what i really want to talk about is what i enjoy the most about it and it's that it's got this weird a lot of people don't like this about it it's got this weird dissonance where one minute you're doing some really wacky thing and you know crazy stuff's happening and they're breaking the fourth wall and the next minute you're like the characters on screen are having some sort of serious like philosophical discussion about the meaning of life and i just really enjoy the way that it just jumps back and forth like that and just strange stuff happens like the first game like the main point of the game and you don't even figure this out till the end of it, it was the fact that like uh, the it's it's about how it's about like finding meaning in life and stuff like that. And the second game is about uh, what was it about? The second game is about the idea of reality and whether 
like anything actually exists or not and whether it even matters if anything exists or not and just weird philosophical stuff that keeps coming back and you're like okay uh, you know two minutes ago you were telling me to turn off the console and stick the controller up against my arm and now you're trying to teach me some sort of philosophical lesson i don't know if that works on a serious standpoint but i enjoy the fact that somebody tried that i don't know anyway you should play it it's good i mean you have to get over the very old result you know resolution the old game play style compared to you know the new stuff we have like call of duty but just the fourth wall breaking the unbelievable plot twists that you know keep you going it, the storyline is just mind-blowing hard to keep track of too until the end and you know everything comes together and then you're not you're, you're sitting there going okay does that all make sense or am I just as confused as I was two hours ago? <laughs> and, like, I, I want to keep talking about more of it, but there's some actual substantial plot to us that I'd end up spoiling. The thing is, like, you almost have to play them all back to back in order to understand it. Because, like, I played the second one two or three times, and the plot twists got me again. I didn't remember them because I didn't understand it. And, like, uh, uh, there were still multiple points where I was just like, what? What? There was this one point, I won't say what it was, we're sitting there, and one of these characters say something, and we're, we both just start yelling at the TV, what? What? No! I look at Jordan, I'm like, how would you forget about that? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> and we're both just staring at the screen like, okay, everything just got really weird really quick. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of things in the game where, like, there'll be a plot twist, which doesn't even make any difference to the main story. It's just like, oh, and by the way, there's this character backstory and here's a plot twist about that character that you didn't know about. It, like, I, you know, it's just... Uh. It doesn't matter the main plot, but it still psychs you out. You're still like, yeah, because you didn't wait, expect it. What? <laughs> Why? How does that... Okay, all right. You, eventually, you just either agree with it or blame it on the nanomachines. It's just one of the two. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's all about, it's all about those nanomachines. Oh, man. It's, ugh, it's insane. It's great. You should play it. Yeah. So anyway, enough, enough Metal Gear. This, this is the thing is like I, I want to talk more about it, but I don't want to spoil everything yeah. if you haven't played it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe even if you don't, if you want to play the game, the newest game and you don't want to play through all the old ones, at least go look up some gameplay of it and just watch through the old games, you know, because it's kind of the way to do it. You know, if you can find find somebody playing through it and just watch all of it. It's worth watching for the story because it's so insane and it's worth enduring the like weird gameplay. That's not very good in the first few ones just for the story because it's so insane. Well, and, and Kojima links back. <clears throat> he keeps making references to previous games. So it's like, if you didn't play the first one or don't understand what happened, the first one or the second one, the second one or third one isn't going to make as much sense as it's supposed to. So you really need that ground foundation of what's already happened, who all the characters are, to really appreciate the following plot twist and just the mind-blowing of, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you can enjoy it without understanding the other stuff. Because, like, when I played the second one, I thoroughly enjoyed the insane storyline i had no idea what was happening even less idea than i had uh, now because i've played the first one now um but yeah you kind of gotta 
you'll you'll enjoy it most if you actually understand what's happening because you'll see characters pop back up and you'll just be like oh i know what they're doing there and he'll constantly make callbacks to things that happen especially in the second one there's a ton of callbacks to the first one where things will happen or actually no there's something recently we're playing the third one and uh uh a character said a line to another character that was called back in the fifth game that i just now started playing and i only noticed it because i just i just played through the other one the same scene explained why the same character or the character that a comment was made to was doing and using certain weaponry in the first two games. So because the third game is like a, a is like a prequel to the first two games, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> uh, it does to me, but it may not. I kind of want to play this game. You definitely should. You need to. It, like at the very least, like look like watch gameplay of the first the first like uh four and then play the fifth one that's what i would suggest because the thing is like you have to own three or four different consoles to play all of them but if you can just watch gameplay of the first four and watch somebody play all of them and then you go play the fifth one because the fifth one is the best gameplay gameplay like it's actually a good game from a game standpoint and the other ones weren't bad but like they're just really the controls are not fun <laughs> but yeah definitely yeah, I think we'll we'll wrap up the Metal Gear discussion, and uh, we could go on for hours. Yeah, we could keep going for a while. And I, I, oh, actually, two more things before we go that not about Metal Gear, but just uh, little random things. Uh, we've mentioned Miracle of Sound before on here. Um, and in case you don't remember, he's a guy that writes songs, uh, usually themed around a particular video game. He'll pick a, pick one and then uh, you know write a song from the point of view of the main character or something like that. Um, and right now there is a bundle um, for charity where you can buy like all of his stuff. And I need to see. I'll add a link to it in the description. Um, but yeah, go buy that. It's all good stuff. And I think it's one of those like pay what you want things or you have to pay very little or something. It's it's a no matter what it is, it's a good deal because it's good music. What games on the top of your head do you recall? Uh, recently he just did a Metal Gear song he did a uh a mad max song you know for the movie even though he normally does games he's done a witcher song like basically he's in fallout songs basically anything that he plays and enjoys he'll end up writing a song about and it's all good stuff and he constantly gets better and he also just recently released a metal album called metal up which was really good um and that's on iTunes right now. You can go buy it. And I think that's actually like if you pay over a certain amount, you'll get it as part of this bundle too. So just go buy the bundle. What's uh, Miracle of Sound. So yeah, uh, and then one more thing that I discovered recently, which I might do because it sounds awesome, um, is something called Indie Box. And we're not sponsored by them. It's going to sound like we are because I'm going to talk about it for a minute as if they're a sponsor. Uh, Indie Box is a service that. Uh, you subscribe to for I think like 20 bucks a month or so and they will send you every month a boxed indie game which is not something you normally see Uh, and that box will contain various things having to do with the indie game including a USB stick with the actual indie game a manual for the game sometimes stuff like maps and stuff like that like you used to get in actual box copies there was one of them that was uh, one of the ones they've done in the past was Towerfall which is a you know, like, uh, uh, you know, old school platformer multiplayer combat game. Uh, 
And one of the things they sent with that was they had a USB NES or SNES style controller that you could use to play the game with. It was in the box. And uh, they give you both a Steam key and a like collectible USB card thing. It's like, a, it's like a card with a USB thing that flips out on it, which has the whole game on it. So you basically have it forever. And I really want to start doing this because uh, I like to collect games. And I started realizing I buy a lot of games digitally and that may go away at some point. And I'd really like to have boxed copies of a lot of these games. And it'd be really cool to get these boxed copies of indie games because they're like limited edition. They only get made by this one company and like once. And a lot of these indie games don't come with boxed copies any other way. And it's super cool. Um, it's not super cheap, but based on what you like, you get your money's worth. Definitely. So that was just a cool thing that I discovered this week, which would be be pretty cool so yeah i don't know like what do you think about the concept zach i think it sounds cool dude that's pretty cool yeah yeah i don't know i, I don't i'm not usually a big fan of the whole you know like pay a certain amount of money and get a you know get a box of stuff because a lot of times it's stuff that you could just buy by yourself and it's like kind of a mixed bag and you're like i mean if i wanted 10 figurines of something i would just buy it but I, what am i going to do with this stuff but yeah, so that's pretty cool. So yeah, uh, I think we're gonna wrap it up. We ran a little bit long. I mean, I think only like ten minutes longer than normal, but you know, um, yeah. So Zachary, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you and listen to your music and read the things that you write? I always struggle at this point because I don't know exactly what links to share and what links to leave out because there are so many. Just share Twitter. Uh, I think I'll do that. I think I'll just share Twitter. So if you can go follow me on Twitter, that'd be awesome. I'd give you a cookie, but I can't. Um, that's twitter.com <laughs> slash Zachary Bruno. Um, yeah. And um, a bunch of other places, but whatever. Just leave hey, that Zach, out. Would that be a chocolate chip cookie or an oatmeal cookie? Ooh, hard one. Um <laughs> <laughs> probably say oatmeal oatmeal raisin but <laughs> I have no i'd idea. vote for oatmeal definitely oatmeal cookies are good yeah the chocolate would melt so yeah so yeah so if you want to find me i'm at lytle jordan on twitter l-y-t-l-e-j-o-r-d-a-n that's the only thing i do so uh actually here pretty soon uh we did some uh just a, little, a few first impression things with some friends uh we played some guild wars 2 and recorded a bit of that and at some point in the near future that will be up on youtube and i'll have a link to it uh we also played some league of legends and that will be up at some point but god knows when um so yeah and josh do you have anything you want to plug at all things you want to send people to read no I'm, I don't have a very big internet footprint. I keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I figured, but I, I figured I'd ask out of courtesy. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, good sir. You want to send people to go your Google Plus page? Uh, I need to delete that. <laughs> don't we all? Year in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Google Plus, man. I think it, I checked it. I check it once every six months, and there's maybe two more posts. <laughs> it seems like it waits for Facebook to post up, and then just copies and pastes, and it's like, oh. We're still here. <laughs> For a while, all I ever did was just copy what I was posting to other things and just had it auto post there. Yep. And then I eventually stopped doing that. But yeah. So on that note, I think we're going to, this will be it. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, until next time. Yeah. Take care. All right.